Welcome to Episode 1 of Living in Recovery, a podcast devoted to sharing the stories of fellow CBP employees who are living in recovery with an addiction. The focus of this podcast is to share the experiences of those who have struggled with alcohol or drugs in the hopes of breaking the stigma that's often associated with addiction. Also, the goal of this podcast is to stimulate hope amongst those who may be struggling or are discouraged or intimidated by the prospect of seeking help. As a disclaimer, the words expressed in this podcast are based on personal experiences alone and are not meant to be taken as medical advice or to promote one method of treatment. Today, Jason shares his recovery experience and how treatment helped him to come to terms with his addiction. Jason is a Border Patrol agent, a peer support member, a Master Resilience Trainer with CBP. Now Jason discusses what works for him in his approach to recovery. Jason, when did you first know you had a problem with alcohol? I think, um, well, I have to be careful when, I, when I'm when i asked, when did I know something? Knowing kind of got me in a lot of trouble. So I think I, think I came to the realization that I didn't like the way I felt. And I knew for certain that my solution to that was no longer serving me. Um, and, and that solution for me was, was drinking. I don't, I don't do well with labels, but you know, for, you know, the sake of, of the listeners, I have no problem referring to my, my malady is alcoholism. It works well. It's, uh, you know, it, it's a civilian terminology that most people understand. I think I had that moment of surrender years before I actually decided to reevaluate that relationship I had with alcohol. But I have, I have a story of recovery that has spanned over nine years now. It's been over nine years since, since I've had a drink. You know, to say I had a drinking problem, I think it would be safer to say I had a drinking solution and it, and it, it clearly wasn't working for me anymore. How did you know it wasn't working for you? Well, the evidence was mounting and I found myself in more of more of an emotional wasteland than I want to pause right there for a minute because it's a deep it, it evokes a deep you know a sentiment within my heart and uh you know you mentioned hope in the in the introduction and I think and I think it was a point of of realizing that I had lost all hope I was hopeless and I didn't want to feel that way anymore and it wasn't really until I had to honestly accept that I was beginning to hurt the people around me and that's a horrible feeling when someone tells you that you're hurting me. It was maybe just the catalyst that I needed to know that uh, my relationship with drinking wasn't as personal as I thought. Because, you know, you develop a relationship with with a solution like that and it becomes your everything. When I no longer had the coping uh, mechanisms in place to deal with stress or um, sadness, I reached out to what worked. It was like a friendship or love of my life, if you will. And like any, like any relationship, <laughs> you know, it was scary. It was scary um, admitting that, you know, it was time to seek shelter elsewhere. I'm lost in that thought because I can't really put my finger on any particular moment. You know, it's a, it's a long, it was a long battle I had and it wasn't any, it wasn't any exact moment in time really that, made me realize I think I could tell you that I um I came to a point to where I I couldn't imagine being any sadder than this and it was frightening you know it was scary 
So I had to, uh, you know, and I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit either that it's in that, in that moment in time, you know, I, I began entertaining other options, you know, options A, B, and C. And, um, I think to say I'm a suicide survivor wouldn't be a stretch because it was starting to materialize or manifest itself as a potential option. So I had to, I had to get real and get honest about, um, is this, is this living or are you, um, or are you dying? What are we going to do today? And I don't know if it was a divine intervention, but something in my heart says, you know, I want to start living again. Yeah. And that compelled me to quit trying to do it alone, to look for somebody or look for something outside of myself because myself will continue to fail me. And, um, that led me to picking up the phone and trying, trying to explore the help that's out there and which eventually it, it ended up, ended up landing me in an inpatient uh, treatment facility. And that was nine years ago. Yeah, it was, uh, Last time I picked up a drink was in June 26, 2012. You know, I wasn't I wasn't um admitted into treatment immediately. I thought, you know, I was living under this perception that, you know, when when you need help, just hit the EAP button. You know, the first responders will come in and sweep you away and uh but that that certainly wasn't my story, not at all. Um I ended up having to reach out to Blue Cross Blue Shield and explore the treatment facilities that um, our federal insurance was willing to cover. It was painstaking trying to find um, a treatment facility that would take a, a federal law enforcement agent. But I, I ended up finding one. I mean, I was in I was in treatment for for forty days. You know, I was keeping company in there that wasn't necessarily conducive for federal law enforcement or any type of first responder. When it comes to being honest um, about your story, about the world in which we operate in and, and, and where we struggled in our addictions. Like I said, it wasn't perfect, but I guess it was perfect for me because it gave me a good, it gave me a good indication of instead of that voice saying, I don't belong here. It was a pretty good indication of where I'm going to end up if I continue on this path. And my, my story truly wasn't any different than anybody else in there. And I affectionately say that to a lot of people that, well, I don't drink like you, Jason, but I can assure you that however you drink, I used to drink like you. These bad coping skills are developed. They're not, they're not necessarily adopted overnight. You know, it took me a long time before I realized that the things I was uh, doing the, and the people I was letting close to me, uh, the places I was visiting, you know, it took a long time actually to cultivate itself into something that certainly wasn't certain certainly wasn't a healthy way to cope with my stress. You talked about being in the treatment facility and thinking that maybe you'd leave. When you were there, were you concerned about what would happen with your career if you left? At that point in my life and in my journey, uh, I I'd come to the realization I was willing to put my career or any, any aspirations behind me. And I wasn't there to, because, uh, you know, I didn't decide to take that step in recovery because I wanted to salvage my career. I didn't step off on my journey of recovery because I wanted to mend relationships or become a better 
a better husband or I was, uh, I was well beyond that. And that, and that fortunately is what it took. Um, because I, you know, I've, I had a lot of good reasons to stop drinking a long time ago and, and none of those reasons could manifest the courage that, that was needed to finally come into a, a place of surrender with it. And it's been my experience working with others that if you're, if you're looking to change the way you live and the relationship you have with any type of substance misuse, unfortunately, our children and our jobs, they don't work. It's, it's just not enough. And that's, that's the power of addiction. And so my experience in recovery was it wasn't a matter of hanging in there to save my job or um, I wasn't being asked to attend recovery. I wasn't uh, strictly voluntary. And I knew it would come with a cost. Having, you know, having subjected myself to an inpatient recovery um, treatment program, that that doesn't, uh, I mean, that sticks. Uh, but surprisingly, you know, um, I was I was successful in, in the inpatient treatment and I was given a, a good outpatient, a good plan, you know, for success. It was quite the contrary, actually. I, I was fortunate enough to have some good leaders around me, not managers, but actual leaders. And they embraced that journey for me. They, um, they stood by me. And I, you know, I was very fortunate to have those types of people around me. And as far as my peers, and of course, there are those that will judge. It was almost being able to carry that shame that I had let something take that much control over me and be able to turn that around and just truly own my story and the shame and the embarrassment and all of it. There is a little bit of survivor's guilt with that. You know, how did I lose lose control of my drinking? and become a liability to those that are counting on me. And I guess the only way I could, uh, you know, digest that, that survivor's guilt was to just show up every day to work and, and be available, be, be available to tell my story and perhaps be a source of hope for somebody else and hopefully get to them before they got to the point um, that I found myself in. There are very few people that understood that because towards the end, the last few years, you know, I didn't let people get close enough to me. I no longer drank like anybody I knew. And to sit down and have a couple beers with the fellas, that, that didn't appeal to me anymore. And so I went inward and it, it was a very, uh, a very lonely existence. I think sometimes as, as leaders, we think that well, if their fellow agents can't see it, if they can't start to see those patterns of, of um, distress, it could indicate that we may need to, to conduct some type of intervention here. I, I can assure you that there's a lot of us out there that are very good at what we do. It's a survival mechanism. And, and just to remember that we are honestly convinced that without this, I'm doomed. This is how I survive because I don't have any other resources available to me and I don't like the way I feel and alcohol is good at changing the way you feel. Of course it comes with consequences, but not everybody is going to outwardly express that they're having a problem with their drinking or they're having a problem with being sad or depressed. 
it's a it's a frightening place to be and if we get alone in our minds long enough we're going to get good at, at not letting anyone understand that about us because it's a it's a sign of weakness we embrace this warrior culture of ours and and in law enforcement and first responders and we don't do well if we think we're we're expressing weakness and the last thing we want to do is to feel you know excommunicated or to feel like we're no longer being accepted we'll go to great lengths to uh to hide that that we're having a problem as far as treatment is concerned i think we've done a little bit of work in that department there's a few of us I have a dear friend who's very close to my story and very close to my heart. And, you know, she's been out there finding facilities that are more, more conducive to our law enforcement culture. And they have programs specifically designed for first responders. So we have some resources now. Thank goodness, because I was, I was in the dark and I was just feeling my way around through that process of trying to find, you know, the professional help that I needed. But no matter what, no matter how good the facility is, no matter how good the outpatient programs are, we'll always find a reason. We'll always find a reason um, why this isn't working for us until we truly, until we truly arrive at that state and truly get honest about why am I doing this? Why do I want to quit drinking? And it has to be for you. You know, you have to get selfish with that. It has to be about caring for you because that's pretty much where. I was lacking. That's where I ended up with alcohol as my solution. And through the process of recovery, working a good program, and I'm not, I'm not a very good spokesman for a lot of what we understand to be uh, programs of recovery. You know, I've dipped my toes in a lot of water. <laughs> I've, uh, you know, but I have a program that works for me, and you know, um, it includes a, you know, a twelve-step approach to my recovery. Um, that's something I learned in the facilities. I learned how to give back that way. But I've also explored a lot of the other vacancies. And it was just a process of learning and a process of discovering why I wasn't able to manifest anything that felt like happiness in my life. And I don't, I don't want this to sound like a sad story because it's not. You know, I'm here today because I want to celebrate my recovery. And I want to, I want people to know that you can manifest hope, that you're not hopeless. And none of us are excluded, especially those of us that struggle. And it is difficult. And, and what, what works for me is, is finding true connections, finding, finding like minds and like hearts, people you can connect with that can share in that, in that struggle that have a, that have a story that's similar and remembering what works because there isn't one thing. There isn't any one, magic solution to this because there's 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 going to be layers and a lot of us in the first responder and law enforcement communities it's been my experience i can't speak for everybody but a lot of us have carried around some trauma you know and a lot of that occurred in our childhood and that that kind of leans towards it leans towards that rescuer archetype that a lot of us have and you know my my story goes as long as i'm rescuing someone else i don't I don't have to look inward. You know, it's a very convenient distraction for doing any real work on me. I don't have to waste time rescuing me if I'm out there saving somebody else. And until we can get our own house clean, you know, we're not much help to anybody else. In times like this, I mean, it's unprecedented how many 
how many things are stacked against us. And a lot of the little things that I was doing, eventually, you know, I could construct or make a design for living that was conducive to, to staying sober and living, living a, a life that could manifest happiness, like real happiness. A lot of those things have been tested over the last couple of years. And I found myself in situations that, you know, a lot of, a lot of roadblocks to, to the things I used to reach for. You know, if it wasn't for the fact that I had that community of people that I could stay connected with, I don't know, I don't know if we'd be having this conversation today because we have to be held accountable. No one, no one truly is happy if you're not being held accountable. My experience only, but if I don't have layers of accountability in my design um, for this recovery, uh, people that can catch you or um, a practice, you know, for example, the relationship I have with my, with my physical self, how I, you know, how I, how I connect to what I eat, how I, how I view my health. You know, my practice of meditation, I found my way into a yoga studio. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't limit myself. And when it came to some of that spiritual vacuum, I, 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 I could no longer deny, you know, I had to explore that too. And so I brought all of these other modalities of healing because that's really what recovery is. It's healing, it's healing what hurts. And until you're willing to do the hard work and to, you know, to, to have the courage to go back and find out where you still hurt. And, you know, when, when you're reaching for a substance to make it stop hurting, you really become void of feelings because that's what we're scared of. And right now, you know, the temperament within our agencies, our mission is being tested and being reevaluated daily. All, all of the things that, it seemed normal in our, you know, our mission on the border with the pandemic. All of these structures are being flexed, and if it if it wasn't for the those things that I have already put in place that could catch me when one of them failed, because they're all they're all subject to fail. And if I didn't have those things in place to keep catching me, you know, it, it would be setting myself up for a drink. You know, the human connection is should never be undervalued and it requires some amount of vulnerability though to reach out and explore other modalities of of healing what hurts i just i guess if i can implore anything on on somebody that that, that might think they want to reconsider their relationship with with alcohol or any of the other short-term solutions out there you know it would be to just um know that you're not alone. You don't have to go it alone. There are people out there, whether different backgrounds or, or, or different careers, but we all share in that, that common struggle. And there's, there's strength in that. There's real, there's real strength in that. And you can manifest hope again. But man, I, 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 I can tell you from my own experience, just being still very connected to the agents in the field, it's often a common denominator. When we really start to destruct a lot of these suicides, there's always seemingly a component of substance misuse. And it's not just one thing. Just because someone's career is, is being threatened or perhaps a marriage is being tested, it's never just one thing. 
and and I could say the same for you know addiction. Once you start to unpack it and start doing the work, you know it's a <laughs> it's not a fun journey at all times, but it sure feels good when you're willing to um, address some of those things that that are hurting you, and you get them out there into the light of your awareness and and just let them be. You know, let someone else carry that stuff. We've been carrying it too long. And uh, it just feels really good, the levity of it, um, to be able to do the work. And, you know, you need a period of sobriety. You know, you need that clarity. And you need to get around people that understand the process and are willing to get vulnerable with you, willing to have that courage. It'll make everything else, you know, um, as far as the career is concerned, um, a lot of that stuff just takes care of itself. But you need to learn how to care for you. And that's one thing us in law enforcement, we're not very good at. It's one of the skill sets that's not taught to us. And I'm I'm seeing some change in that direction with some of our resiliency programs. And I hope we continue to get buy-in on that. And there's some really good, there's some really good people out there that want to do good work. And there's resources out there. We just need to get the word out. And we need to get these programs out into the light and let people know that there's hope. And there are paths. There's paths for them to find their own solutions. As a supervisor, if somebody came to you today and said, I have a problem, I think I'm drinking or taking drugs, what do I do? How would you help them? That, of course, would would require me to operate from a place of love. I use the word. It's not an opportunity for me to hand them a uh, a list of resources for EAP or that's a situation that would require me to just be present and maybe for the first time listen with my heart it would require courage and there is no wrong way to do that it would be it would be an honor that somebody that worked for me chose me and I wouldn't I wouldn't take that for granted. I think what I think what that individual would want to hear from me the most is that I'm grateful that you had the courage to tell me this and I don't know what to do. I don't know where we go from here. And this is coming from someone who has a story of recovery. This is someone who has found solutions that work has been has been working that program for nine years. And I would still feel compelled to tell that individual, I don't know where we go from here. But I'm I'm in. We're gonna figure it out together. I would also want them to feel safe. And that would require me to be a very active listener. I would be anxious just talking about that. So that might be a message to our leadership that even somebody who has a swath of experience when it comes to addiction and substance misuse, it would be a conversation I would be uncomfortable having. But you need to start thinking about it because they chose you. And believe it or not, having leadership operate from that place of caring was a big part of how I was able to stay sober in the beginning because I didn't feel all alone. Whether I wanted to admit it or not about I don't care about my career, I don't I don't care about whether or not I get fired. I just wanna I just wanna learn how to be happy again. 
there's still a part of us that needs that connection. You know, we get close to the people we work with and it's, it's part of our identity. And it was very important that I knew that somebody in leadership um, was willing to, to be a leader. So we do have resources. If you have been chosen and someone does choose you to reach out to you for help, it's okay to tell them, I don't know how the heck we're going to do this, but we're going to figure it out together. And some of what you're doing, Stephanie, you know, with the CBP resiliency and um, the substance misuse program, that's a great start. You know, we're starting to build a foundation to build upon. You know, I think clearly there's still a lot of work to do, but you know, if you can, if you can help these, that type of situation and help a leader uh, find the resources they need, you know, I think we're on the right path. I hope this is a conversation that's just beginning. Um, I hope if I'm asked to come back um, for a follow-up, it'll get easier for us. And maybe, maybe we'll continue to uh, be a place or maybe just be able to deliver a message that resonates with somebody out there that's needing help. Because if we can reach just one of us and get them on a path to their own solution, then, you know, it's all worth it. And you can't measure that data. We won't be able to, um, we won't be able to present that because we just won't know, but I know what's not working. And that's the way we handle substance misuse in our agency. It's not until, uh, the consequences are on board. We're great at consequences. We got, we got that dialed in and that needs to be part of the solution. Don't get me wrong. There has to be consequences. But we need to get better at everything else when it comes to holding space for somebody to find their path to, to, to getting well and learning how to be happy again. Because that's what I want. I just want to be happy. It's been my experience working with uh, several of my, you know, my brothers and sisters in, in this uniform in U.S. Border Patrol. When someone, when someone gets it and their program starts working in their life, that sends out ripples and and when the agents around them see somebody truly make that transformation and they and they start to not just tell you i i feel pretty good they start acting like it and it gives everyone else permission you know who doesn't want a piece of that who who <laughs> who doesn't want what he or she has and uh yeah it's an it's it's an amazing effect and if we can just reach one, that's, you know, that's immeasurable. We won't know. We won't know how that manifests. We don't know uh, what those ripples look like when they hit the shore. And I see a lot of top-down messaging, um, especially most recently when we're dealing with a health crisis. You know, when I hear department-level leadership saying, your health is our number one priority, well... Mental health has to be part of that conversation, not just our physical health. And I would argue that if we begin with the mental health issues within, you know, our workforce, it will translate well into our physical health. And it, it has to, we have to remove that stigma that mental health means you're somehow broken or it's a question of morality or bad decision making. Well, our minds are, are subject to fail, just like any other organ in the body. And when they become subjected to addiction, um, addiction doesn't discriminate. 
there are some great examples of some very, you know, some great minds out there that have fallen and been on their knees with this stuff. And we have to remove that, that stigma from it and just look at it simply from a health perspective. We want our leaders to succeed. When leadership's winning, we're all winning. And if you, if you can convince us that you care for us, we'll carry you through the mission every time. We just want to know we're, we're being cared for. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Living in Recovery. If you or someone you know needs help, reach out to the Employee Assistance Program to reach a licensed professional counselor at 1-800-755-7002. For additional resources related to the Substance and Alcohol Misuse Prevention Program, please visit the CBP Wellness and Resilience Programs page on CBPNet. You can also send questions directly to CBP Resilience at cbp.dhs.gov.